seat. Good morning, Calvary. We're continuing on in our series called One. And one is the idea of coming to a place. There we go. Um, one is the idea of coming to a place where we, we are acting and operating and thinking as one. So we started with the idea of one call. And then last week we, we talked about the one body. And, and Drew gave an illustration I kind of want to continue a little bit today. The idea of the orchestra. And when I think about the music and the symphony, I, I think of some really good concerts I've been to. We have a, a concert my family likes to go to every year when possible called Behold the Lamb of God by Andrew Peterson. And they've been doing this concert for about 20 years. And it's all over the United States. And if there's one close enough we like to go to. And basically you have these group of friends who do this album that tells the story of Christmas from the time of Christ, um, from the beginning of time to the time of Christ's birth and how it impacts us. It's a, it's a powerful, powerful, powerful concert. It's worshipful. But as I think about it, what I, I, I really love about it is those musicians know each other so well. They, they, they know how to harmonize. They know the right ways to connect. They know all of the, the idiosyncrasies of the way that concert's going to go. And yes, there are problems that come up. But they adjust and they adapt. And they play beautiful music that worships God. When the church is operating as it should, it's when we all play the instruments. This is the sermon from last week, right? The one body. And we play it in such a way that really glorifies and exemplifies the symphony of worship as the church responds to God accordingly. Worship is not just the songs we sing, but it's the way we live that glorifies God. And as I think about that, um, it's a great theory. But we all know that the church doesn't always do it. I'm talking Calvary here. I'm talking the people who say they follow Christ. We don't always do this well. The unified church will not always play the same instruments. We will not have the same way. But the unified church will not always look the same. But here's one thing that should be the same. We should be united in direction. Today's topic, we're talking about one way. How do we stay headed in the same direction one way because we can't get to florida by going north you can it would take you a whole lot longer right so how do we get on the right path how do we stay on the right path and the way is to make sure that we know where we're going and ultimately what we need to understand is where we're going the destination is christ this is why we gather this is what the church is about this is our purpose. Ephesians chapter 4, we're continuing on looking in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. It says this, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord that you all should no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Anytime you hear the word Gentiles, think of people who aren't familiar with church, okay? You should not walk as people who are not familiar with church do in the futility of their thoughts. For they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. 
They become callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity from the practice of every kind of impurity with the desire for more and more. Basically what he's saying is you shouldn't expect the church people, the non-church people to act like the church people. Why? Because their direction is different. Their focus is different. The path they're on will make them look different to the way that we should look. So we could get frustrated when people who don't grow up in the church and don't walk with the church and don't know Jesus act, or we can realize they're not walking with Christ. And so as we understand that, we have to shape how we should walk and how we should look different. Verse 20. But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him. In other words, if you are a member of this church and you are a follower of Jesus, then your life should look different as the truth is in him because he is our truth. To take off your former way of life, which is what we symbolize in baptism, right? And the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. And we are renewed by the spirit of your minds. We are raised to a new life and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. That's good stuff. We should look different. Why? Because we're headed in a different direction. But we should all be headed in the same direction, even though we drive different cars, have different personalities, play different instruments, if you'll carry the illustration forward. We should look different, but we should be headed in the same direction. And the way that's exemplified is the word peripateo again, to walk. Where are you walking? And maybe even with today, the question is, how are you walking? You see, there's a specific way we are called to live. While living for God, we are learning to live more like Him. This process is called sanctification. Sanctification is kind of the place, if, when I think of sanctification, that's a real, 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 real churchy word, right? It's the idea of holiness, which is still a real churchy word, but a little less, right? It's the idea of allowing your life to look more like Jesus. When we say the pursuit of holiness, it's the, the pursuit of making your life look more like Jesus. And this is the process of sanctification. Now, it's easy to say, right? But not so easy to do. And, and as we think about that, and as we try to unwrap what that looks like, I want us to um, come to the place where we're willing to say, okay, what is sanctification really about? Mary Wiley has this definition. She says, sanctification embraces the concept of the already, but not yet, that is essential of the story, of our story, of the Lord, with the Lord. It embraces the concept of the already, but not yet. I love that. Right? So listen, pack this. And we're going to talk about it from a bigger perspective here in just a moment, give you kind of a way the process of sanctification works. As Drew mentioned last week, we come to the place where we're part of the orchestra now. We're part of the team. And so we go to the eighth grade band rehearsal, right? Now you're, in this instance, in this story, are a part of the eighth grade band. Congratulations. Some of you always wanted to go back and live eighth grade again, says no one ever. But as you, with all due respect, eighth graders, I love you. Enjoy your life where you are. That's wonderful. But as you're going on and living in life, let's say right now you're an eighth grade orchestra, eighth grade band, and you are given this little thing, and the director tells you it's a flute. 
Now, here's what you knew about flute before today. It's a stick and makes a lot of high-pitchy noises. You have no earthly idea how to hold it. You have no earthly idea how to... And so the band director raises his baton, right? And says, play. And you don't even know where to put your mouth. Or do I go, do I go, right? Or, or maybe you're given, you have a special ability, and so you're given the most difficult instrument of all to play. Some of you would say it's the tuba. I know, just because that's what I played. But it's actually not the most difficult instrument to play. Many would say that the most difficult instrument to play is the double-reeded oboe. Now, here's the point where I do want to have a little time out and say all of you who are always liking the sports illustrations, there's some people who don't like sports, so stay with me. <laughs> this is how they feel when we always talk about sports. Time in. The double oboe, double uh, woodwind oboe instrument is very difficult because you have to really hold it, and it's not mastered really well. And so the very first time, if you go to a first day, eighth grade band concert where people have never played instruments before, rehearsal, the goal is to get them to make noise. I know. And this is the ultimate goal of what we're trying to do in the understanding of how to follow Christ. We're trying to get you to understand that this sanctification is a process. So the process unfolds like this. According to Allison Gregg, there are three aspects to our sanctification. The first one is positional. It's setting ourselves apart and allowing transformation. The positional is learning the embouchure. It's learning the posture. It's learning how to be a learner. It's learning how to make your life. It's the place where you come and you say, okay, I now believe and accept Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I'm not just following him because I want to spend ever in eternity and avoid hell. Although that's real. But the, the point of our sanctification is to believe that we believe that the goal of our salvation is a relationship with God, and that doesn't have to wait till the next life. It starts here and now, so that we should exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. Peace, love, joy, kindness, gentleness, patience. I always forget that one. Um, Etc. But that doesn't just happen. It begins by us first posturing ourselves and having a positional approach to learning the embouchure, to learning how to come. And so the way this unfolds as the church, right, is you come in there and you say the basics of what it's just talking about there. It's saying, I'm putting away the old self, and I'm taking on the new life. So it's recognizing, the position is recognizing there's parts of me that need to die. And I need to give over to Christ. That's the positional approach. Now, when you start to play your instrument, and you start making the noise... Every kid goes home like this. Mom, let me show you how my instrument sounds. Mom braces herself around the kitchen table like this, right? Okay, show me. And you hear this. And every mom in that moment would sit there and go, good job. We got a ways to go, right? And so this is how when you first come into the church, the reason the church doesn't always sound harmonious is we are always having people come in who are always making the noise. They're, they're the people who sit there and go, I'm learning how to follow Christ. And we can get frustrated with these people or we can celebrate the fact that they're beginning to make noise. 
that they're beginning to sound like a band. And one of the most frustrating things about being a church is we can look around the room and we can sit there and go, why are these people making this? We should all sound the same. They should, but there's just learning. So let's allow them to learn. The second step, though, is we shouldn't stay there. As Drew said last week, if you're in, uh, you know, like 12th grade, you should not be sounding like an 8th grader at this point. And if you've been a, a follower of Christ, you shouldn't, for a while, you shouldn't sound like a new Christian. And the reason that that is, is according to the sanctification process, there should be a progressive stance. It's the ongoing process of transformation until our death. Now, you can call this practice. I'd rather call it training. We're training to sound like the band. We're training to sound like the instrument, the voice of God that we should, that declares His wonders, that declares His glory, that says He's so, so good. But you know what doesn't happen? Once again, you don't become really good by only practicing and training when the orchestra is together. There's got to be a lot of self-practice. There's got to be a lot of learning how to do this on your own and coming back together. Because otherwise, what happens? You, you show up, you pull out your instrument, and the guy next to you can all of a sudden play the scales. And you can't barely make the noise that you made yesterday because you hadn't touched it since the day before. And then that can be frustrating to everybody else. Why? Because you're not growing. So the church, in order to, to progress, has to understand that we all have to do our training. And we have a discipleship pathway around here that teaches us how to do it. In other words, we believe that there are, these are three tools that we utilize to help us grow. Okay? The first one is training. Right? By the way, this is TLC. I'm going to do it in a train. As you train, you're doing what you need to do to progress in your faith. And part of the second one, the TL, is learn. You've got to learn new things. Hopefully the band director of the day 10 isn't teaching you how to have an embouchure. He's teaching you something more advanced. And so as you learn, you train. And as you train, you learn. But what you also find out is you can't really be good at making an orchestra sound by yourself. So we need the community. We need sometimes people to go, hey, you're playing a little flat. Or a little sharp. Or, oh, that's nice. Right? And a good community encourages, challenges us, doesn't shame, doesn't condemn, but rallies everybody else to make the worship of their life the symphony of praise that it was designed to be. This is the process of sanctification. Now, here's the good news. You won't be perfect. I said, I thought, you thought that was good news. Well, it is. We need to understand that we will never be the most philharmonic instrument on this earth. But I got news for you. The last step of sanctification is called perfected. And one day we will spend an eternity living a life of worship with God in heaven. And that perfected thing will be no longer learning how to live. We will be living it. No more tears, no more hardships, no more pain. So can we all just breathe for a second? All my perfectionists in the room, Realize you will not be perfect, okay? So you're sitting there thinking, okay, so how can I be perfect in learning how to not be perfect, right? Breathe. That's the main thing. But 
the beautiful aspect of it is, is when we all do our best and we celebrate the progressive element of our life and see the progress, that's where we see God moving. When a life changes and we baptize them, when a marriage is saved from the brink of disaster, when we see a person who can all of a sudden quote scriptures and it's starting to dive into their lives, you want to get me excited? Give me an 11th grade guy or girl who can quote about 30 scripture verses, and I will say that 11th grader will change the world. Let's learn how to grow. Let's not be satisfied with what we've already known. Let's not just assume that because I can play my life better than you can play, I'm okay. Let's live our life trying to perfect and hone what it looks like to worship even though we will not get there in this life. The Bible knows we struggle with it. That's why, do you know this? I just want to make sure you realize it. The vast majority of Scripture is actually dedicated to our progressive sanctification, not to the initial how you receive Christ. Now, you can't progress without first receiving Christ. And I think churches sometimes, they, they, they get this balance out of line. We, we, we do one of two things. Church cultures usually do one of the things. We either want to baptize as many people as possible because we want to get them into heaven, and then we go, good luck. Or we don't actually care about anybody else. We just want to grow closer to God, and we don't worry about reaching anybody. Neither is correct. We need to be recruiting more people to the orchestra, but we also need to teach them how to grow. And that's a balance there. And so the ultimate idea that when we look at the Scripture is, okay, how are we progressing our kids to grow in our children's ministry? How are we progressing our marriage, married couples? How are we progressing those who are single? How are we progressing our senior adults? How are we allowing God to grow in this? And here's the part I gotta warn you about. There's only so much we can do. And maybe, just maybe, this is the heart of the message today. If you're expecting the sanctification part, the training of your faith to happen only on Sunday mornings, you will constantly be discouraged about the direction of your faith. Let me say it another way. If the only time that you live a life of worship is Sunday mornings, you're not only going to be frustrated with the progression of your faith, you're going to get frustrated at why the church doesn't sound better. And instead of looking at everybody else, you might need to realize it's you. So we have many ministries. We have Celebrate Recovery to teach you how to overcome things. We have, we have children's ministry. We have student ministry. If my kid don't want to come, make him come. It's called being an adult. It's okay. You have the idea of, okay, I'm going to come and be involved in a men's ministry. I'm going to become involved in, in whatever. I, but it's not just about busyness, but the idea is we gather to draw closer to God. Community without sanctification is just people. Community gathered together to worship God is glory. Where are we? And how does this look? Well, Paul gives us an example. How do we know when we're not headed in the same direction? I, I currently drive a, a Subaru and it has the eyesight. Some of you care, some of you don't care. Um, for those of you who like the orchestra, you may not care about the car, so then I'm going to go there for a second. It's in my car, and so there's this wonderful, super annoying feature of my car that when I go over a lane, it goes beep. 
And sometimes I just want to round a corner and go over the lane, right? I'm intentionally going over the line, right? But the actual idea of that is, hey, I don't want you to crash, so I'm warning you. I think that's what the community should look like. Hey, beep, are you heading in the right direction? So let's look at what that might look like. Paul gives us some examples, some specific illustrations in Ephesians 4, 25-32. Therefore, put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and don't give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he should do honest work with his own hands, so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth but only that which is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Now that's quite a list. And if you've been to a church that I like to call the Thou Shalt Not Church, good intention church, but maybe, maybe I would not go that way. A thou shalt not church tells you constantly how you're failing, right? No one wants to be told that. But maybe the realization of what we're trying to do is God isn't trying to tell you you're a failure. He's trying to cor- correct your course. So let's wrap this around our brains. When the scripture gives us course correction, it's not expecting you to be perfect. It's giving you warning signs that you're about to crash. It's saying, hey, here's some ways that you need to be careful. You're headed in the bad direction. This is what's best for you. It's best for the church. It's best for all of us. Because when you sin and you sin or I sin, it messes up the symphony, right? But when we all get on the same direction, when we all get on the same path, when we're all headed in the same way, one way, towards Jesus, life begins to make sense. So he gives some examples. These are, not, these are just examples. You, you may be struggling with something that isn't even on this list, but what I love about this list is he covers something in deep detail here about how to handle when you're struggling with it. Because remember, identifying what you need to die to is part of the continual transformation that we need to live. So in each one of these, there is a negative command, a positive command, and an underlying reason or a doctrinal reason. Okay? Each one of these, there's an under, a negative command, a positive command, and a doctrinal command. So in verse 25, here's what it says. Put away lying. That's the negative command. Don't lie. What do you replace it with? Truth. Why? Because we belong to each other. So why don't we lie? Because God told me not to. No, we don't lie because it's bad for the community. It's bad for you. Your reputation, the integrity of the church, the integrity of who you are needs to reflect that you understand that lying is bad, so don't lie. Speak truth and understand the reason why. The second one he gives, be angry, but do not sin. Okay, how do I do that? You do it by reconciling by the end of the day. That's the positive command. Why? Because reconciling prohibits bitterness from going. Verses 26 and 27, Daniel summarization verse. Okay? Third one, don't steal. Be honest. Verse 28 talks about living not just for yourself, but others. So when you do honest work, it helps everyone else. 
When you have a job, whether it's working at McDonald's, the gas station, a bank, or president of the United States, in theory, when you are following Christ, you are helping our society. You are contributing if it is of God and not a sinful occupation. Yes, there are a couple of those, right? But if it's glorifying God and you're working to His glory, you're contributing to society. The fourth one, avoid teardown words. That's the word foul language there. It really means words that put other people down. Instead, use words to build up. This is every mom telling every three-year-old, right? Don't use those words. Well, mommy used those words. Daddy used those words. Why? I learned it from daddy. Don't use those words, right? Why? Because we need to build up unity. And when you're tearing people down, by the way, tear down words can also be gossip. When we use tear down words, it doesn't build up the truth and grace, which ultimately leads us to remove all hostile attitudes, to treat other well, and this shows you understand what God has done for you. So let's unwrap this. Let's, let's land this plane. You want to live a life that draws you closer to Christ? You've got to do your part. And a simple way to do your part is every single week find something that you need to die to replace it with the opposite good because you can't just stop lying you have to replace lying with truth and then know why because the knowing why is actually really important unless you're three the knowing why actually gives you buy-in to why we should follow christ and not just because there's some mysterious god who told me not to but because that god actually loves me and cares for me so if you're struggling with gossip, why do you need to die to it? What do you need to replace it with? What's the doctrine of that? What's the underlying reason that God says don't do it? If you're struggling with fear, if you're struggling with pride, if you're struggling with struggling, right? All the things. Recognize that you are not perfect. One last thing. If you think you're perfect, that's where you start right? Because none of us are perfect. We all have work to do. I don't want to be a part of a church that's perfect. I do want to be a part of a church that challenges each other to draw closer to God. That says we can do more. That shows grace when we fail, but points to truth as we are practicing what it looks like to head in one direction making a beautiful sometimes chaotic noise and sometimes a beautiful harmony as we glorify God so here's our daily training know why your transformation matters and live it out what do you need to transform know why got an anger issue why is this important Got wondering eyes? Why is this important? Struggling with finances? Know why it's important. Know why it's important and allow God to transform you and allow his community to point it to you so that we can transform Christ. Now here's the beautiful thing as we are about to have a time of communion if our deacons would um, be able to walk around and if, we, if you need one of these cups and you are a have a relationship with Jesus would you just raise your hand and we have a couple uh, one at least that will help pass it around. You've got to raise your hand up really high if you need it. And when you get these, go ahead and make them 
make the noise now. There's two layers because it's going to be loud for a second. But here's what I love about the, why Jesus picked who he picked. The disciples were not perfect people. They were epitome of the uh, JV squad who was called up for varsity. There, I use a sports illustration. They were the people who were struggling and didn't have it right. They were fishermen, the lowly. And Jesus even knew that even though they'd been following with him, the sanctification wasn't done because he told Peter in the upper room, hey, before the rooster crows tonight, you're going to disown me three times. And he was like, no, I'm not. And some of you are going to make some egregious sins today. And I would sit there and tell you, you are. And you're going to go, no, I'm not. When you do, don't do it on purpose. But when you fall, remember, this is why Jesus came. He came to remind us of the beauty. And so we, we remind us, to, we take this to remind ourselves of the sanctification process. This is to represent bread. I know it doesn't taste like bread. We're going to go with it. It's to represent his body that was broken for us. So right now, give him that transformation. Give him thanks. And take this in remembrance of me. And then he picked up the cup, represented his blood that would pour out and said, my blood was shed for you because you will make mistakes. And while that's okay, don't live like that because my sacrifice wasn't for you to continue going oops. My sacrifice is to draw you into the best you, to take this in remembrance of me. then as he wanted them to live a life of worship, he reminded them by encouraging them, by having them sing a song, and then to go out and to train, to train and transformation their lives and the lives of others. So we're going to do that now. We're going to sing, and we're going to respond to God. Let me pray for us as we go. God, I thank you for this time. Help us to respond to you even now in worship, adoration. God, help us to recognize what we need to work on and stop worrying about what everybody else needs to work on. God, help us to find the truth, to be guarded and guided by you, and to know why it matters. It matters because it brings us to you, and you are good and holy and kind and just and faithful and loving. You are our friend. You are justice. You're a banner over us. You are our discipline, our parent are kind as well. We thank you for how you are. We thank you for the fact that we have access to you. And we ask today that we are drawn into your presence even now as we respond in song. In your name we pray. If you will stand and join us as we sing.